This morning, I'm super excited for what the Lord has for us. It is Christmas weekend, and I don't know about you, but Christmas for me starts either the day after Thanksgiving, no earlier, especially with Christmas music, uh-uh. After Thanksgiving, that's okay. I push it to December 1st. Who, who is with me? We're like, Christmas music is dead until December. Oh my goodness. And then right after Christmas, Christmas is dead for another 343 days. Like Christmas music, it's gone, it's dead. I, like if I hear it on the radio, I go, nope. I survived this whole season and not, didn't hear Christmas shoes, that song, one time. God bless. It was a good season and now it's over. But today we are continuing in our series called Carols. So you know that if I'm up here talking about Christmas carols and we're singing Christmas carols, it's important and it's for a good reason. And so today, to this morning... I'm so used to saying tonight because I preach on Wednesday nights. Good grief. This morning, we are talking about a way in a manger, and I'm really excited for what the Lord has for us. But before we get too far, I just want us to pray. So would you just stand with me all across this room as we get ready for what the Lord has for us? God, we just thank you so much for this season. We thank you so much for all that it represents, all that you have done in our lives. Thank you for helping us make it through the busyness of Christmas Day safely. God, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for bringing family here, traveling and visiting. God, would you just open our hearts today? Would you speak to us in a new way? Don't let us miss this moment. You're so good at being God. Thank you for being a good God. And everybody said, amen. You guys can have a seat. So a little bit about Away in a Manger as a hymn. We've kind of been going over the history of these songs, and it's actually been really cool. This carol was written in 1883, and it has some mystery and controversy to it because this carol is somehow connected, but not connected to Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, this great theologian. He wrote 99 Theses um, against the Catholic Church. He kind of like split them up. He caused some chaos back in his day. But somewhere between the time that it was written and the rise of its popularity within churches, this rumor was forged that Martin Luther actually wrote this hymn himself for his children, and he sang it to his children, and all of the mothers all across Germany um, would also sing this hymn to their children. In fact, this hymn was once called Luther's Cradle Hymn. But all the real evidence, if you would put it, this song into Google Translate, like, it just doesn't make sense when it's in German. And all of the other evidence surrounding this hymn is that it's completely American-created and of its origin. Like, if you tried to sing it in German, it just would just not make sense. Um, but it's a wildly beloved Christmas carol today all around the world. And in fact, um, similar to other carols around the world, this hymn has two different melodies sung in different parts of the world. And so in the UK and in Ireland, they sing it completely different. And because I listened to it and I suffered through hearing it wrong, you guys are going to hear it wrong too. And so I have a little clip of how they sing it across the ocean there. Can we play that? Yeah.
that little boy is really cute, really talented, but it's just wrong. It's like hearing like when a cat like learns how to bark. It's just you're, you're just like, okay, that's weird. And now we're gonna sing it at the end, and so we'll hear the right way of singing it. But America does do it right. So I remember singing this hymn every year um, for like our kids' Christmas program, like we similar to what we had last week, which was absolutely adorable. I don't know about here, but in Sock Center, one of the kids kind of dive bombed off the stage. Um, she was okay, but it was really funny. But it was super cute, and like we'd line up the toddlers just like it was. And my favorite part was there's a line in this hymn that says, The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And whenever the little kids would sing that, about three toddlers would be just sobbing. And I always thought that was just such a fun oxymoron as they were singing it. But I love this hymn, and I'm just going to ruin it a little bit more for you. Because when we, when we think of a manger, when we think of the nativity scene, we often think of a manger that's like wood, like this, right? That's what we see all around. Every, like some of you have like the lights that has the nativity scene. But actually... Um, I got a chance to go to Israel and get Christmas kind of ruined for me. But mangers in Israel looked more like this. And I don't know about you, but I would cry if I had to sleep in that sucker too, right? Oh my goodness. And now you're thinking about your nativity at home and how it's like not accurate. And like some of you are going to go and have to make a new manger for Jesus. So I'm so sorry. But you have all year to make it historically accurate, right? And I could talk more about mangers and the different theology and good and bad that does run through this hymn, but as I was preparing for this week, um, there was something that really stuck out to me that I thought would be a fabulous reminder on the last Sunday of 2021, which is absolutely bananas that it's going to be 2022 next week. But I want us to focus in on this repeating line or phrase throughout this carol, and that is this. It's the little Lord Jesus, or eventually throughout, it just says Lord Jesus. And every verse, and I have them all up there, except for the last one, we sing the phrase Lord Jesus. And the only reason why we don't sing it in the last verse is because we don't even mention Jesus by name. And I think as we prepare to jump into a new year, it's good to be reminded of the Lordship of Christ. And I know this season, it's been a needed reminder even in my life. And so I just really want to talk about that and zero in on that because being a Lord simply means having power, authority, or influence over something. And so when we sing the little Lord Jesus, it is meant that he has power, authority, and influence over our lives. And all throughout the Bible, Scripture points to Jesus being Lord. In Luke 2:11, it says the heavenly hosts appeared to the shepherds, right? And they declared that the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. In Romans 10, Paul writes about how you must confess and believe that Jesus is Lord, and then you will be saved. Having Jesus be the Lord over your life is foundational to the eternal life that God offers us. It's not just enough to declare him as the Savior, which he fully is, but we must acknowledge the need for his power, authority, and influence in our lives. But what does that really look like? 
Because it's easy to say these things, right? It's easy to sing it in the songs. It's easy to tell God that he has the authority, he has control. It's easy to tell others about how he is Lord. But there's a step here that we must take of living that out. And it's not always as easy. And when we think of the title Lord, typically, a lot of our first thoughts happen to be God if we have gone to church enough. But outside of the church realm, Lord is a title that's associated with owning property or owning something. Like people call the Lord or even the lady of the house. And when someone owns a home, they have complete control and domain over the entire thing, where the pictures hang, what tile the kitchen backsplash is, the carpets, the furniture, and even like who gets to enter what areas of the house. And I've never owned or bought or sold a house. I rent an apartment. And so, but uh, my grams, was a realtor and I lived many of my teenage years with her and so after school I would end up coming to work with her because realtors work when you all don't and then they also work when you all do. Um, it's a crazy life but I would get to just tag along with her to different showings, open houses, stagings because you know sometimes the furniture in the house that you look at is not the actual furniture, sometimes it's the realtor's furniture. We would be missing a couch some mornings as I woke up and got to school but I would come along and tag along with her, and sometimes I'd help her take pictures to put the house on the market online, right? And that was easy to do in most cases when the houses are empty or when they're full of furniture that looks really nice. But there are sometimes we'd have to walk into a room, shove boxes into one corner, stand in that corner to hide them, take the picture, shove them in a different corner to get the right angle, because nobody wants to see that clutter. When you take pictures of a house to put on a market to sell, you don't want to show the messy parts of it. You don't want to show the imperfections. You don't want to show all of the junk that is going to be moved out of there. You want the buyers to see the potential of their space that they're looking into buying and owning. And when somebody finally buys the house, they're handed the keys to the whole thing, right? They get the keys to the garage, the front door, the side door, the shed, and the backyard, everything in that house becomes theirs, and they have full access to it. When God is the Lord of our life, we grant him full access to have the power, authority, and influence over every area of our lives, every single one. Could you imagine buying a new house? Like, let's say this house is huge, it's old, it has a ton of space, a ton of rooms, and you finally start to move in, and you realize that there's a room that's locked away. And none of the keys that your realtor gave you, like, work. And it doesn't, and that room is just stuck there. Most of you would probably break in the door at some point, but stay with me here. It doesn't feel like your room until that door is open. And the house is not fully, doesn't feel fully like yours until that room is open. Even though you have all of the keys, even though you were given full access by the bank, by the real estate company. Some of us here have rooms like that in our own lives. Some of those rooms are finances, our marriages, our relationships, our health, our kids. Some of our rooms are past hurts. Some of our rooms are unforgiveness, our anger. And we've locked these things away from loved ones from friends, and most importantly, we've locked up these things from God. Some of us today have a room that no one ever gets to enter. It's like the messy office post-COVID that, like, when guests come over, you just shut the door because nobody needs to see that. 
Some of us put up a front where we share the hurts and the hard things in our lives, but really it's just shuffling boxes around so others don't see what's really going on. And as we go into 2022, what areas in your life do you need to give God full access to? Where do you need to give God the keys? Because having Jesus as the Lord of our lives means giving him every key to every room, even the scary, messy, unfinished parts of our lives. Living our lives with Jesus as Lord means living a life of full surrender. In Romans 14, it says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong. We belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. When Jesus is Lord of our lives, friends, we cease to live just for ourselves and our own gain. We cease to live closed off. We cease to belong only to ourselves. We belong to the Lord. I'm, I'm a type three on the Enneagram, and if you've ever talked to Emily Tonder in the past ever, you may know a little bit about the Enneagram. Um, and so for a type three, I'll just give you the gist. I like to win. Um, I like to do things well. I like to achieve. Pastor Josiah is also a type three. We get along that way, and we butt heads in that way. It's amazing. But for me, it also helps to explain why I like to have all of the control, like all of it. It's, it's an issue in my life. And so as I look into this year and right along with you ask this question of where do I need to surrender more to God? What room do I need to unlock? And a lot of the time, for me, it's, it's work. It's doing this, what I'm doing right now. It's working with your teenagers. I need to get better at giving all of that to the Lord. And sometimes I'll open the door and I'll be like, all right, God, like, you got this because I'm not super good at this, so like, I'll let you do the heavy lifting. And other times I'm like, uh-uh, Lord, like, I got this. Don't touch it. This is my thing. I'm good enough. And that's crazy. Because most of the time that I lock that door, I fall flat on my face and things don't go as well as I want them to. And I'm consistently reminded that what I do, how I work, what I say doesn't happen on my own strength. I can't lock God out of this area of my life. And I consistently have to give over the keys, the control, the authority, the influence to God. And when I finally, finally give it over, because I am very stubborn, it's where I see God's power the clearest in my life and in the lives of some of your teenagers. In 2 Corinthians, it says, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And Paul says, So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Oftentimes, the things that we don't surrender to God are the things that scare us or the things that make us feel insecure or the things that we feel like we need to have control because, you know, we're good enough to do that. We can handle it. For example, when we surrender our finances, that creates an opportunity for God to call us to sacrifice a huge amount for missions, and we have no idea how we're going to do that. 
When we surrender our time, that creates the opportunity for God to ask us to give up some things that we like doing. When we surrender our marriages, our relationships, our health concerns, our problems, that creates an opportunity for God to not come through in the way that we want it, right? It creates an opportunity for everything to fall apart because as long as our hands are on it, it's being held together. And we know that we can hold it together because we know ourselves, but friends, when we surrender our finances, we create an opportunity for God to change the lives of people around the world. We create an opportunity to watch him provide for others and even to provide for us in miraculous ways. When we surrender our time, we create an opportunity for God to use us in a new way to make room for more of him to use our time to help others. When we surrender our circumstances, our relationships, our problems, we create room for God to move in a miraculous way, for God to do something in our own hearts, for God to heal and restore and reconcile in a way that we can't. He is Lord and he is also Savior. Living our lives with Jesus as Lord means living a life full of surrender and letting his power work through the messiest parts of our lives. But friends, this doesn't work. This doesn't happen if we're not giving him every key to every room. God doesn't just want to be Lord over the beautiful parts of us. He doesn't want to be just Lord over our Sundays. He wants the rest of the week. He wants to be Lord over the mess. Because like those looking for a new home, they walk in, they see the pictures, and they see what the house really is, what it could be. God walks into our messy offices, our unfinished basements, and he sees all of the parts of who we are, as well as what he has created it to be. He doesn't have to move the mess around to know that you are worthy of love. He doesn't have to move the mess around to know that you will be taken care of, that you are smart enough, bold enough, and talented enough to do something more in what he's called you to do. And I can keep telling you guys to just, just surrender, just give it up. But how do we do that? Like, because I, I struggle even with doing that. I can sit up here and tell you all until uh, I'm blue in the face to be like, yeah, just, just hand it over to God. And you're like, um, but Pastor Gabs, this thing is really big and really messy, and I have no idea where to start. And I also just haven't owned a house or apartment yet, so I have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about houses. But what I have found in this time as I've been preparing this, as I've been thinking about this illustration is that I don't let strangers into my apartment. I don't let them into the messy parts. Like, I just keep them kind of at the doorway for the most part. I don't just let anyone come in. And when I get to know someone enough, I invite them over. They don't just show up and do something. But even then, when I invite people over for the first time, and some of you are like that too, I only keep them in, like, one area of my apartment that I've cleaned really stinking well that's like presentable and that they need and that's the living room and the bathroom. My dad can attest to this. And I close the doors to my messy room and I scrub the only front parts of my house and make sure they don't go anywhere outside of that so they don't see my dirty dishes or my spare bedroom that is full of just stuff. And as you all know, as friendships grow, you start to be a little bit more comfortable with the messy side of your house as they come over. You don't just clean as heavily when they come. They get a glimpse of the dirty dishes. You may have to forget to shut the door every once in a while, and eventually you get to be the type of friends where you say, 
here's my house, this is it, you can come over, you cannot, or you don't have to, I'm busy, this is what life looks like in a house like mine. I'm there with the Tonders, it's really fun. And they get to get, get a glimpse of the true mess that it can be. But how do we get to that phase with our friends, with people in our lives? It's by continually inviting them over and getting to know them. And the same goes for surrendering the things that feel impossible to let go of. So you can continually invite Jesus into those areas and you continually get to know him in that area. For example, if it's time that you're struggling to give up, it's asking God to guide you in your schedules and to your processes and reading in the word, in the Bible, what God says to spend our time on. If it's finances that you just can't let go of, it's constantly asking God what you can give. It's asking God to provide for what you need, to be more faithful even, and reading what the Lord says about money, because he says a lot about money in the Bible. And I could go on and on with these examples of different areas of every area in our life, but my friends, let's not enter this next year with locked doors. Let's walk into 2022 declaring and living with God as the Lord of our life, fully surrendered so we can see his power made perfect in the areas of our lives that we find ourselves weakest in. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as this time, and we're going to sing Away in a Manger, the last Christmas carol of 2021. Hallelujah. But I want you to take this time and think about where you need Jesus to take the power, the authority, and the influence in your life. The last line of this song asks Jesus to fit us for his kingdom to live with him there. Where does he need to adjust us today to make us more ready to live for his kingdom, more ready to surrender? Would you stand and pray with me? Lord, we don't want to leave this moment the same way we've walked in. We don't want to just say the words that you are God and Savior. We want to live this out and believe it. And so God, right now, would you just show us in the next few moments some of the areas in our lives that we need to unclench our fists from, that we need to hand over the keys. God, would you truly not just be Lord of the beautiful parts of our lives, the presentable parts, but God, would you take over the mess Take over the things that we think we can control and we can handle. Take over the things that we don't have as much faith in. Would you make us more faithful? Would you make us more bold? Would you help us to truly surrender our lives for you, to live for you? God, we belong to you. We love you. And we thank you. Would you sing this song with us? I want to give us this opportunity like every Sunday for those who may never have invited Jesus into their lives even into the beautiful parts that are easy to give the keys to and so in a moment of privacy with every head bowed and eyes closed if today you would say I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life would you just slip up a hand you don't have to keep it up
And friends, we're just going to pray this prayer. These are magic words. These aren't like specific to anything, but would you just repeat after me? Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and change my life. Amen. Amen. Hey, friends, today, may you leave taking a step forward in surrender, inviting God into the seemingly uninvitable places of your life. Don't let this moment pass you by living the same way as you walked in. Merry Christmas, friends. You are dismissed. <laughs>